Good morning, church family. It is so good to see you this morning. I trust that you are having an awesome weekend. And wow, as I look back over that video and just see some of the the different things we did through this, it's just so good to see how God worked and, and just showed us himself through this Daniel series, even in the timeline. I mean, it's been 12 weeks or so in the stay-at-home order for our county, where our church is here in Pennsylvania, and this is the 12th chapter of Daniel. It's just been neat to see how God in his wonderful providence has given the book of Daniel to our church, I can tell you honestly, to me as a pastor, to go to and to gain strength from and insight from in such a time of uncertainty. You know, when we were preparing this series months before it came out, the goal was to really speak into a society that we thought was just showing more and more signs of anxiousness and fear. And the prayer was what series would really be able to speak faith into that fear? And that's where the Daniel series came. Now, we had no idea at that time the series would be preached basically with an empty room except for the first week. But God has used it to not only show us the lion of faith, the lion of Judah, but to help us to walk like lions when there's a prowling lion seeking whom he may devour, and he roars with the roar of fear. Folks, we want to hold up under that pressure he puts on us as believers and be like Daniel and walk like faith. Hey, now as we enter our last week in Daniel, we've had a word of the week that's gone along, and and that was not selected before the series, that was added to this series so we could speak into the situation we're dealing with, but our word of the week this week is pressure. You feeling any pressure? Have you felt any pressure over the past few weeks? You feeling a little bit of pressure right now? I think it's natural for us all to feel some tension Um, Somebody had shared with me recently, I I look on social media, I turn on my TV, it's just people are fighting and they're angry and they're upset and I just don't like any of the tension. I just have to turn it off. I I think they're expressing the pressure we're all feeling. There's children out there, they can hear their parents talking in other rooms and they can sense a tension in the room. Daddy's upset, mommy seems upset. There's just a pressure of having the kids home all day for a lot of moms and dads and there's the pressure that they experience even when they get out to work, pressure. Now, it's one thing for us to know what pressure is. I mean, we know to put pressure onto something. I I use my thumbs. Young people, teenagers, your your thumbs are probably stronger than 10 men with all the pressure you put on those phones, right? But, But think about the pressure that comes from outside sources. And that's what the definition I looked up today under pressure. It's to use persuasion, okay, influence uh, positions of power or, or intimidation to make someone do something, to apply pressure to someone. I, I can tell you as a pastor, the past couple of weeks or so, I have felt a lot of pressure. I'm not going to lie. I'm actually speaking right now, feeling some pressure, okay, for all the different things the church has to encounter and go through. Um, we all feel those pressures, and your leadership does too. And Boy, we would appreciate your prayers and your patience with us as we navigate the pressures that we are kind of tackling right now. But, but I was thinking through pressure, and I was thinking about athletics, especially, you know, when someone handles pressure well, they're called clutch. And I thought, that's a good question for us to consider. What are times in our life where we've been under a lot of pressure? I go back to my younger years, 
And I can think of a time where I felt a ton of pressure. I worked at, some of you are gonna laugh at this, but I worked at Staples, okay? Love Staples, okay? Red shirt, khaki pants. And Staples as an organization was growing at the time, and I worked up at the one at North Wales. Well, it was my first job coming out of high school, and I was told, when you get a job, one of the things you wanna do is make yourself as valuable as possible. So I learned how to not only cashier, there was another section of the department called merchandising, and you learned how to put away the equipment late at night, and you put out the boxes of merchandise early in the morning. So I learned that, I learned the cashier, but I also thought, I gotta learn more so they can't fire me. And, and so I went and I learned the service center, and that's where you handle returns, when people come back kind of agitated, and you learn to handle returns. And then there's the ultimate of ultimates, the copy center. And I thought, if I can learn the copy center, whoo, man, am I a valuable employee then? So I learned the copy center. And as I grew in the organization, I was finally given the moment when I was handed the keys. You say, the keys? Oh, yeah. You know about the keys. If you've ever gone shopping, you know about the keys. Here's what it looks like. When you're going to check out and... The cashier's ringing you out, and something doesn't ring. Doot, doot, can't get it, you know, the barcode's not going through. Or, or, or uh, there's a discount that needs to be applied. And you see the cashier, she goes something like this, or he goes something like this. Um, hold on a second, I'm gonna need a manager. And, and, they, and they call, or yell, or whatever it is, and then the manager comes over with the keys. And what they do is they stick the key in that register, they turn it, and usually the screen clears. They go, do, 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 there you go, apply the thing, and they walk away. Well, I got the keys, and it was my opportunity. And I'll tell you what, I had a couple weeks of bailing out the cashiers, and I felt good about that. I mean, I was handling the pressure of handing the keys pretty well. Oh, Chris, I, I, need, I need a price check on that. No problem, I come up, I turn my key, do, 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 there you go. Go ahead and give, hey, ma'am, you have a great day. Walked off with my keys. But then August of 1993 came. You say, what happened that year, Chris? Yeah, all the way back in the 1900s. August 1993, back to school. The lines were out the doors. We had never seen so many lines, and my manager wasn't there at the time. He was in the back of the room, and I was the only one in charge, and the lines were backing up, and we had people getting really frustrated, and I'm at the service desk, and this guy's going, I said I bought this. I don't have the receipt, but you got to return it. I'm like, hold on, sir. There's a protocol for that. I'm yelling, the copier might work, and I said, hold on. I'll be there. The cashier says, Chris, I need a discount check, and I'm sitting there holding this. I'm this young guy, and I got the keys, and I'm feeling all this pressure and all these voices. How am I going to respond? Flashback a couple months earlier, the manager told me, just make sure every time you put the key in the register, go right, and that will set the screen up for you to do the discounts. Don't go left, because if you go left, it, it deletes the screen and it allows a reboot to occur on that computer. Especially the far end computer, that's connected to all of them. If you go left on that one, it'll shut the system down all the way across. Like, don't worry about that. Go right. I can click. Well, you know what happened. 
The crowd was screaming, people were upset. There was one lady in one of the aisles, she was one of those people who talk loud so that other people agree with her. Can you believe how long they're taking? And everybody's like, yeah, yeah, can you believe this? The guy's like, I'm trying to get my return. And she calls up, he says, Chris, I need an override. And she was on that, she was on that one. That cashier was on that register and I went over and I looked up and I went left and the whole register in the middle of all these lines back to school at Staples rebooted. I was called a lot of names that day. I was called a lot of things that day. And I remember my manager coming out the back of the store almost at a jog going like this. And he yells into the crowd, Hey, 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 everybody. Hey, sometimes there's a reboot on the system. It's no big deal. We got this. It'll reset in just a second. That's on me, folks. Give us just a few minutes. We got this. And he looked at me, and he glared like, oh. Later that night, I'll never forget how much grace he showed me that day because I blew it under pressure, and he helped me. He got me through it, even when the pressure got to me and I failed, he was there for me and he took the blow for me and he gave me a chance, even though I failed during pressure, to experience the victory of watching those registers come back to life and the people walk out of there and me not looking like a complete fool because he could have easily said, you idiot, how could you have done that? It's that kid right there. I gave him the keys and he blew it. But no, he took that blow. And even though I failed under pressure, he was there for me. Can I ask you, church family, are you prepared? Here's our question. Are you prepared for pressure? And do you have someone to stand by you? Even if you don't handle what you've been asked to handle well? Folks, I really believe Daniel chapter 12 is just this picture and this culmination of an awesome prophecy that God gave us that talks about the time of the end so that we might be, and this is what I titled today, prepared amid pressure. If there's anything prophecy shows us is as time goes on, more pressure is going to build on the Jewish people in Daniel, but also for those who follow Jesus Christ. And Daniel is gonna give us what's called that 70th week this week in chapter 12. And so I pray that as you look in this prophecy, you're gonna see that although pressure arises, there's gonna be one there for us, to be there for us, and to help us through it. Would you pray with me as we open chapter 12 and we look into the 70th week Heavenly Father, use the sermon today to bless everyone, to encourage everyone, and to help them to walk into the uncertainty of the future, not with fear, not with being afraid they won't be able to handle the pressure, but knowing you wanna go with them. You'll stand by them. And even in the times we do fail, and we do blow our testimony, and we do get angry, and we do get upset, you still love us through it, God. And you're going to help us see the end so we live differently in the present. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen. 
Now, before we walk into chapter 12, let's just go back for a minute and finish up chapter 11. Because chapter 11 and chapter 12 kind of work together as this prophecy comes to a conclusion as we walk towards that 70th week. Chapter 11 is really dealing with the first 69 weeks of the prophecy. And we learned a lot about that by opening what was called, the angelic being called it, remember, the book of truth. He said to Daniel, I'm gonna tell you what's inscribed in the book of truth. And what was in there? Well, the, the history of the Jews that was gonna be given to Daniel in prophecy of what would to come, were to come. We also know the history of the Gentile nations in this book of truth. And it's given to Daniel in his prophecy so that he can show and write down that people be able to read what was gonna come in the next hundreds of years, okay? And what was really interesting in this book of truth we noticed last week was this battle between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. We had the Seleucid dynasty attacking the Ptolemy dynasty. And for all you history people, we're like, oh, what is this even about? Why is this even in scripture? That's why it's in scripture. The Holy Land's right in between and it affects God's people, the Jewish people. And so Daniel does this specific detailed prophecy of the first 69 weeks. So specific that we meet characters in it like Alexander the Great. We saw the first Cleopatra mentioned. Um, we have all the Antiochuses and then it led up to this figure in history, Antiochus Epiphanes, he came around 168 BC, he gained a contemptible throne, he magnified himself, and at one point, while he was trying to grow his empire in the northern kingdom, he attacked Roman Empire, they fought back, defeated him, he was so angry, he stormed back into Jerusalem, killed 80,000 Jews, walked into the temple, set up a god of Zeus, burned a pagan pig on the altar of God. And that event in history is called the abomination of desolation. Why does Daniel go into detail about this character? Well, I believe there's something called foreshadowing that includes that figure. Foreshadowing is when we see a figure in the Old Testament and kind of gives us um, some example of what a future figure will be like. Well, who could this be? Well, as Daniel chapter 11 moves on, you come to verse 36 and there seems to be a division in the text. It seems it's the end of the 69 weeks, and there's now a prophecy of this last seven, of the 70th week. Now remember, a week is seven years, so there's seven more years to come after the 483. And it seems like it leaps into the future and talks about this other king. The scripture says this, and the king shall do as he wills, this future king. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every God and shall speak astonishing things against the God of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished for what is decreed shall be done. Well, who is this king? You say, well, isn't it just a continuation of Antiochus Epiphanes? No, it's not. Because none of the things that are about to be recorded in this prophecy have come to place and certainly didn't come to place with the figure Antiochus as we study the halls of history. So what is this speaking of? Well, most scholars believe we're beginning to speak of this antichrist that comes at the end of time. He does as he wills. Over the next three verses of chapter 11, if you have your scripture in front of you, I'm just laying out 10 characteristics Daniel points out. Does as he wills, exalts himself as deity. He blasphemes God. He prospers for only a determined time. He disregards the gods of his heritage the Jewish gods or, or whatever he comes from, 
or whatever his former gods were, disregards them, ignores the beloved by women. Uh, people are a little like, what does this mean? Is this he has no interest in women? Is there a woman that's beloved by a lot of people when he comes along and he, he totally ignores her? He honors the God of fortresses. He builds up huge military might. He's aided by a foreign God. Most would believe that's that false prophet that scripture talks about that um, asks everybody to take the mark of the beast, 666, and, and helps him and aids him with signs and wonders. Um, rewards those who side with him. If you side with this guy, he really hooks you up and he will prosper only till a decreed time. That's chapter 11, 36 through 39. And then it begins to speak of what will occur in this time when he's ruling. Look at this. Daniel says this in Daniel eleven forty. At the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him. But the king of the north shall rush upon him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen and with many ships. And he shall come into the countries and shall overflow and pass through. Then it says this in verse 41. Daniel says, he shall come into the glorious land. That's, that's Jerusalem. And tens of thousands shall fall. He's going to kill tens of thousands of people. But these shall be delivered out of his hand. Oh, there seems to be a remnant that's delivered. Yeah, Edom and Moab and the main part of the Ammonites. We have other prophecies that speak of these people being rescued in Edom and Moab. Better place to be if you're reading this in the future. He shall stretch out his hand, he continues, against the countries and the land of Egypt specifically. He shall not, they shall not escape. He, he shall become ruler of the treasures of gold and of silver and of the precious things of Egypt. And the Libyans and, and the Cushites shall follow in his train. I mean, he's going to get all the treasures of Egypt. He's going to grow in power and power. But then, news, news comes to him from the east and the north. They shall alarm him. And he shall go out with great fury to destroy and devote many things to destruction. And he shall pitch his tents. He shall pitch his palatial tents. What's that mean? What's that mean? Lavish tents. Between the sea and the glorious holy mountain. Whoo! Those who study prophecy know where this is. This is right outside the Mount of Olives where Jesus Christ is expected to return one day. Yet, he shall come to his end with none to help him. Oh, whew, whew, whew. That's good news. But is this some foreshadowing of Armageddon? Is this that battle we hear of of the future where he starts gathering these armies to attack and that's where he comes to his end? And one author um, gave a chronology of the Antichrist. Let me, let me just, I, I adapted it a little bit, um, but this comes from Campbell uh, on the book of Daniel and, and he will act in self-will. He will exalt himself. He will magnify himself as a God. He will blaspheme God. I should have a capital G there. He will succeed for a time. He will be irreligious man. He will turn on the Jewish people. He will build military might. He will be challenged, but win. He'll defeat armies left and right. And he will headquarter himself in Jerusalem. We also know reading Revelation, Babylon will be one of the places he sets up. Wow. But at that time, Daniel continues... At that time, let, let, the, let the Jewish people know, at that time will arise Michael, the archangel, the great prince who was in charge of your people, who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble. And, and I'm telling you what, this is alarming, okay? Such as never has been since there was a nation 
till that time. Now, the Jewish people have come under some horrific times in their nation's history. But Daniel says, in the end, this prophecy tells us there's going to be a time of trouble such as never, ever, ever has happened. Not before and never until that point. You feel the pressure building on Daniel? He continues. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be written in the book. What's that? That's the book of life. Those who know Jesus Christ as their personal savior. Those who have accepted him as their Messiah. As the one who came to deliver. Not the one that those have rejected, but the ones who have accepted Jesus Christ as their personal savior and have called on his name and made him their Lord. Those who are found in the written book shall be delivered. There's hope even in the time of trouble. And many of those, this is interesting, watch what happens here. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Now that's sleep here. It's talking about those who are dead in, in, in the dust of the earth shall awake, okay? Some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Only time in the Old Testament you're going to see everlasting life right here in Daniel. We're, we, we seem to hear of this future resurrection. Remember, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. There's a material and an immaterial. Now one day, believers, church age, we know, okay, that right before the judgment seat of Christ, our immaterial and material, we get our glorified bodies and we go to glory. But, but there will be a time where those who are dead Okay, at this time, now, there's different resurrections we see. There seems to be a first resurrection, a second resurrection. You can check this out in our Revelation series if you're interested in that. We covered it um, in that series. But there seems to be a future resurrection, more towards the end of the tribulation, I personally believe, that will have some go to eternal life and some go to eternal death. Here's the sobering thought. We all are going to live forever. We're all going to live forever. Some, some to everlasting life, but some to shame and everlasting contempt. If you're not rejoicing in heaven one day because you became saved, you're suffering in hell for all of eternity in everlasting contempt. Shame on us for only thinking this short time on earth is all we have to actually think about. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Remember, this is specific prophecy to the Jewish people. And he's saying, those who know the Lord as their Savior are going to shine forever. Oh, that's the wise. That will be this. But Daniel, but Daniel, the angel says, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. Well, that's interesting. Daniel's told to seal it up. Now, in, the, in those times, they'd had scrolls, and they'd seal those scrolls up, and they'd put seals on the scroll, okay? So that you could not open the contents, or somebody knows you broke the seals. Daniel, take this prophecy, seal it up. One day, the seals will be broken. But right now, I want you to seal these up. 
Let me tell you something. As the days grow closer, especially towards the time of the end, knowledge is going to increase. There is going to be an information explosion as we get towards the time of the end, Daniel. People will be able to get knowledge at the snap of a finger. It's going to grow and grow and grow. Folks, have we ever seen a technology explosion like the one we're living in right now? I can remember being a youth pastor in the early 2000s, not being able to text the teenagers or do anything like that. It was 2006, I started texting. And here we are in 2020, and you can't even remember not having a cell phone. The information age is in full go. Scripture declares, as we get towards the end, you're gonna see an information explosion. But seal it up, Daniel. Well, if you're Daniel, he goes, wait, 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 wait. This was a lot of information to take in. And Daniel throws out two more questions at the end of chapter 12. He throws out the first question. He says this, wait, 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 wait. He goes, watch this. How long until the end? How long? I, I, when? When is this all going to start happening? I mean, don't we all want when, When's this 70th week coming? When's this future seven years coming? When, when's it going to happen? And, and, and there, he sees a vision. And this being is standing on one side of the waters. And he holds up not one arm. Usually when you swore to an oath, you held up one arm. He holds up two. In other words, this is so true. He says this. How long? How long until? A time, times, and a half time. Oh, thanks. That helps me. What if somebody said, hey, how long until you're coming over? Uh, a time, a time, and a half times. I'll be over. What? Now, I'm going to save you some study, and I'm going to tell you what this means. Um, there's other places in Scripture where this phrase time, time, times, and a half comes up. And what we've learned from those is a time is one year, times is two years, and then a half time is obviously a half. And so we know this to be three and a half years. Something's going to set off a three and a half year period until the time of the complete end. Well, what? And then, he, and then Daniel has another question, okay? Well, what, what, wait, what? Um, what will be the outcome? And he responds, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. You've got enough here. You've got enough, seal it, not to conceal it from people, but that's enough. There's things in here that are for future, and they will come to pass in the distant future. But he says a few more things, and I want to make note of them before we conclude 12 and begin to wrap this up. He says, many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined. But the wicked shall act wickedly. White robes are always refinement. It's spoken of of the church age, having white robes. And none of them who, who are wicked shall understand. But those who are wise will get this. Those who are wicked aren't going to get all this prophecy. But those who are wise are going to go, I see this. I'm getting this. I'm following this. I don't know all the details, but I'm following this. And then he says, and from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, 
There shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. Now, if you add that up, it's three and a half years, but there seems to be an extra 45 days, and scholars are back and forth on what that actually means until the exact end. But it seems to be when someone makes something desolate, which the Antichrist, if we see in Revelation, at the halfway point of the tribulation, does another abomination of desolation, turns on the Jewish people, and cranks up persecution on them till that time you're there you're getting close but go your way Daniel that's enough till the end and you shall rest and you shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days Daniel relax I'm giving you the future tell people to prepare for this pressure by knowing Christ as their savior don't turn them away don't be the one that rejects the cornerstone accept him It's a cry to all people that Jesus is God. And if you accept him as your personal savior, you're gonna be the last man standing one day in your glorious place in glory. It's almost as if God wants to say this, and I just wrote this down. Daniel, I got all this, but you need to see all this so my people are warned of all this and are prepared for the pressure of all this. Isn't it neat how God showed the Jewish people that I'm still gonna be there for you even though all this pressure's coming? Why is it coming? Satan hates the Jewish people. God's people, specifically, hates them. He knows who rises from that. He knows Jesus Christ. He knows how Jesus Christ defeated him on the cross. And he's coming at him and coming at him with all his wrath. And using these demonically charged beings even towards the end of days. Pressure is going to be cranked up on the Jewish people all the more as the times draw near. Scripture speaks of this in Revelation, this time of trouble. It's a seven-year tribulation, one week, seven years. This time of trouble, Jesus even refers to it as a time of great tribulation. We, we had a calendar we've been proposing through this series of when will this all take place. There's a clock that started in Jerusalem, Daniel says, when it was said to rebuild the temple and then, and, and then, or the walls, and then 483 years of prophecy would come. That's the 69 weeks times seven, right? And, and then there's this church age. Daniel didn't get to see it. We don't know why, but the Old Testament prophets, they didn't get to see it. It's a mystery. It's this gap. I'm goofing around saying the present day. We're not exactly sure when the present day is, but I'd like to think, looking at the world around me, that we're getting close. There's going to be a 70 a week a tribulation period before it ends at Armageddon where Jesus Christ will land on the Mount of Olives right by the beautiful land and they will return and set up the millennial kingdom in the new heavens. But during this tribulation period, it will be a time where Satan just attacks the Jewish people through the powers of the dark forces of the Antichrist, the false prophet, and the devil himself, the dragon. And they'll seek to kill and pressure and push on top of those Jewish people, but even God and Michael will be there for them during that time. But don't be around for that. Believer, if we're getting close, we don't want to be around for that, and and we can celebrate that we don't have to be around, that we're in the blessed hope. But if you do not know Jesus Christ, your Savior, and as you see the times drawing near, make sure you're not around for this. How can I make sure? Well, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 16 says this. For the Lord himself is going to descend from heaven with a cry of a command. 
with the voice of an archangel. One day, if we're around for this time period, you're gonna walk out of your house, you're gonna hear something loud, whether it's a trumpet blast or this voice, but it's gonna be one of those moments where this happens and the sound of the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ will rise first, okay? Paul's saying you're not gonna miss out. There's a hope in this. There's a resurrection coming for the church age. The dead in Christ will rise first and then we who are left alive will be caught up. The word is from uh, the Latin rapturo, where we get the word rapture, but the word also comes from harpazo, or, or harpazo, which means to take away, to snatch. We'll be snatched up together with them in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air. He doesn't come all the way down. He doesn't come all the way down to the second coming, land on the Mount of Olives. He meets us in the air, and, and so we will always be with the Lord. And, and we believe that happens in the beginning of the tribulation as a church, because one, the church is never mentioned during the tribulation period in Revelation. It's talked about in the beginning of Revelation, but not in the tribulation period. We know there's a removal of the restrainer that will occur. We believe that happens when the church age is removed. We, we see exemption from divine wrath that is to come. We are talked of this rapture being a blessed hope. I hope for it. I look forward to it. It allows for the imminent return of Christ. We don't need to see all these things laid out in the tribulation before we know he could return at any time. And, it's, oh, and, and we see the 24 elders in Revelation. They're up in glory. They're clothed in white. They're given rewards. And those are the things especially promised to the church age. And so this tribulation period occurs on earth. I'm out of here, okay? And this tribulation period occurs on earth. And here's some of the things that Revelation says. It begins with these seals, okay? You remember the seals that Daniel, close it up, seal it up. Well, Jesus Christ in chapter four, he comes and he starts opening up the seals. He, he starts, who is worthy to open the seals? They cry out in heaven. And there was only one, the Lamb of God. And he starts tearing open the seals. There's global peace for a time. But then there's global war that begins to occur in Revelation 6 through 8. Economic collapse like the world has never seen. Earthquakes in times of incredible terror. But upon opening the seventh seal, there's more to come. The seventh seal opens seven trumpets. Watch this. There's hail and fire poured down onto the earth. There's a wormwood meteor that strikes. When people say, I think we're kind of living in the trumpets. Huh? Uh, a third of the atmosphere is blackened. Anybody see that? Do you understand what would happen to crops and vegetation if a third of the atmosphere is blackened? Demonic realm is released on earth. It says demon locusts will come onto earth. You will literally have, and I'm not being flippant, hell on earth during the seven trumpet judgments. In Revelation chapter 11 through 14, you know what it talks about? Revelation 11, 14 talks about the antichrist, the false prophet, the dragon, all working together to destroy not only the Jewish people, but, but see, seeing as many people killed as they can, people who come to know Christ during the tribulation period, many will die at the hands of this evil empire that sits on the throne outside of Babylon and by Jerusalem. Then these bowls of wrath are poured out. Revelation continues in chapters 15 through 18. People get sores on their bodies during the tribulation. There's seas of blood, fish and vegetation. Things are dead. It's just red blood everywhere. Scorching sun. Revelation talks about time people will go outside and their skin will be burned off. It's a time of incredible judgment on sin. Get out of this tribulation period. There's an attack on the Antichrist. There's the dooms of Babylon mentioned in that book. 
And then you see it all culminate in Revelation 19. There's a gathering at the Valley of Megiddo of all the armies, and, and, and that's where the Antichrist sets up. Oh, but it's beautiful. We see a picture of Jesus Christ on a white horse, and he comes, and he destroys the Antichrist. And he comes with us. He comes with all those that are with him on that ride. And he's riding a white horse. And a white horse is a victory horse. And folks, if you're new to the scriptures, you might picture Jesus as sitting on a little hillside with a lamb next to him and a nice red robe or something like that. You know, a nice Jesus. And he's petting it and he was crucified and killed. And you think Jesus is this soft, but that was the suffering servant. He came. He came to die on the cross that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's what the suffering servant came. But this guy, Jesus is still alive, folks. He rose again on the third day. He's up sitting at the right hand of the Father. He's in my life and I pray to him every day. And my hero, my Lord, who you don't see right now, he's going to return. But this time it ain't going to be the suffering servant. Scripture talks about him having fireball eyes. Him coming on that white horse and he's going to wreak havoc on all sin for the last time. It's going to be fully judged and the devil himself will be thrown into the lake of fire. We are given prophecy so you know how the story ends. Football fans out there, you ever record your favorite team? You're not as stressed if you know your team won when you go back and watch the recording. Even if they're losing, even if it looks like they're not going to win, you go, hey, I know we won, so I'm enjoying watching the recording. If I record my favorite team and they lose, I don't even go back and watch the recording. But if I see they won, I go back and watch it. And even when my team's down in the first quarter, maybe they're really down in the second quarter, maybe in the third quarter, it feels like the government, the evil agendas of the world, everything looks like it's winning. I know this. I'm on the winning side have the victory. And that helps me when I go through pressure. It helps me as I walk into the future knowing I'm on the winner's side. And this Jesus, he's coming back red hot, upset at sin, and he's gonna deal with it once for all. Because he came in as a servant. But next time, he's coming in hot. And he's gonna take care of this once and for all. Are you on the winning team? Are you on the victor side? Are you prepared for pressure to come in your life? We had a question. Are you prepared for pressure? How will you hold up when pressure comes? Some people are asking me, Chris, Chris, do you think the church is under persecution right now? Do you think persecution is coming to the church? Regardless of whether it's persecution or not, we know this from 1 Timothy. Indeed, all those who desire to live godly lives in Christ will be persecuted at some point. If you're not persecuted at all, you're probably not living for the Lord. Nobody even knows you're saved in your dorm room, college student. Does anybody even know you're saved at your high school? If you live for Christ, at some point, you're gonna be persecuted for it. While evil men and imposters go from bad to worse, this old idea that things are gonna get better is not scriptural. Evil men are gonna go from bad to worse. They're gonna deceive and they're gonna be deceived. But as for you, Paul writes to Timothy, continue in what you have learned and what you have firmly believed, knowing from where you learned it. 
will we be able to stand up amid pressure? When you're given the keys to walk around with the gospel, are you gonna handle that pressure? As we close today, I wanna give you eight keys that the Lord has kind of shown me in the book of Daniel to handle pressure. Eight keys to walk like a lion when you're feeling tremendous pressure. Are you out there today and you're feeling pressure? You're feeling like this world's just getting worse and worse and worse and and you're wondering how you're gonna navigate that pressure? You're feeling more tension on on what you believe and how you believe and, and you're just, you're getting all worked up. How will you handle it? Eight keys from the book of Daniel, lessons for lions, as we close our series. One, create elite prayer habits. If you're under pressure, Christian, God's eat, let's neat ain't gonna cut it. Create elite prayer habits. Daniel prayed as was his custom. Cultivate fervent prayer in your life. You can't afford to go, God, help me have a good day. You need to know how to pray. You need to study prayers in scripture. You need to begin spending more time in prayer. Challenge yourself. Lord, I'm gonna begin to pray five minutes straight a day. That's how I'm gonna start to spend more time with you. You need to pray more when under pressure. Second, lions stand on scripture. You gotta fortify weak spots. Don't you dare have more NBA teams memorized than verses. Don't you dare have more apps that you click on than scripture verses. Don't you dare. You can't afford it when you're under pressure. You can when you're just going through life like there's no battle out there. But when you're under pressure, you better have verses in your head. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Fortify your weak spots. Daniel said, I am weak and I cannot stand. So he stood on the promises that God gave him in the scriptures. Here's a third. Lions prepare a defense. Anybody knows anything, if you're under attack, you gotta be ready to anticipate some pushback. Boy, I really didn't think anybody'd be upset with what I said. People are gonna be upset at times. Anticipate pushback. Daniel defended his convictions. Lions, prepare a defense. One of my heroes of apologetics passed away just recently, Ravi Zacharias. The man had a defense for what he believed, and he, I was one of his pupils. I mean, I really loved his words and studied his apologetics and how he defended what he believed, and I respected that. You know how many Christians walk around having no idea what they believe? Mom told me. My school said something. I go to Christian school, or, or that. It's, can you stand up when you're put under pressure? It's so important to be a lion. I'm getting all fired up here. Here, four. Here's four. Four. Make, okay, cultivate trust circles. All right, lions aren't stupid. They don't hang out with animals that might hurt them all the time. Sure, there's a time to be evangelistic, but you gotta have trust circles. Daniel had his guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He made godly associates. Daniel leaned on steadfastness and friendships. It's one thing to have some evangelistic friendships, praise God, but you gotta have a core. You've gotta have a pride around you, if you will, of lions to pick you up when you begin to struggle. Here's a fifth one. We're almost there. Lions stay on mission. You gotta prioritize God's will. Daniel purposed in his heart, I'm gonna stay focused on you. 
We can't get so easily distracted when we're under pressure, church. We gotta walk like lions and stay on mission. One when putting his hand to the plow, looking back is fit for the kingdom. Keep on mission. Six, lions know their God. They don't got this fake God they've made up. Well, my God wouldn't do that. Well, then you might not have the God of the Bible in your head. Okay, for even you to say, my God, that's making up your own God and even breaking one of the commandments that shall have no other God before you. Can't say things like that. God, lions know their God. They've studied him. And when somebody says something about their God that's not true, they say, that's not true. David said, the reproaches of you, God, are the reproaches of me. I defend it when somebody says something about my God like he's not good or he's not there or he's not with me. I get defensive. Lions are like that. They know their God. They study God's character. Daniel, God said, you are greatly loved. The devil wants you to believe you're not loved at all, but lions know their God, and they know God is for them. And then seven, lions remain agile. When pressure hits, they adapt all the time. Plan to adapt. Your church had its people taken away for a 12-week period, but we gathered every week, didn't we, church family? We just kept preaching the gospel, kept leading the word. We got a line at revivals that would compete with Chick-fil-A right now. We're giving out, we've given over $25,000 out to families in need as a church. You've been crazy generous through this whole process. We just were agile, church. We just adapted. We didn't quit. We didn't cancel. We didn't close. We continued to gather online. We continued to minister to our people. We continued to be people of prayer. Our church adapted and we were lions because Daniel even said, hey, we'll just adapt, test us and see. God used this time period in our church's history to make us even stronger and we've got great years ahead of us because of this time. Let's not let the devil dare let us divide over this. Let's walk towards this future that we have in great faith and continue to remain agile and keep trying different ways to get our ministry going and not only that, working amidst all the difficulty and uncertainty of today. But then here's my last one. And this is something I learned during this series. Here's my list. Lions create elite prayer habits, stand on scripture, prepare a defense, cultivate trust circles, stay on mission, know their God, remain agile, and expect divine help. What many of you don't know is that many of the things your church has had to do have been difficult, have been stressful, have been filled with pressure. This sermon I'm preaching right now has taken almost two hours now and it's been cut up as my last recorded message because of struggle to just get the words out. But every time we've asked God for help, he has delivered. He's even prevented us from walking into mistakes at times that we could see now, looking back, would have been mistakes. Church family, is there anything your staff, your leaders, your pastors have learned through this is that when you plan to work and live for God, he's gonna show up and show himself obvious to you. 
Do you need to ask for his help? Are you feeling pressure right now? Ask for his help. Say, God, I need your help. I texted a buddy just the other night. I said, I asked somebody to give me a hand with something recently. And he said, yeah, I'm, I'm guilty of never asking for help either. God wants to help us amid all pressure. I pray this series encouraged you, built you up, and strengthened you. But more importantly, I pray this series gets you to think about how you walk into the future. And as we close out the book of Daniel, if there's anyone listening today that's just sitting on their couch or stopping by or sitting somewhere watching on their iPhone, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal savior, is God asking you right now, hey, are you prepared for the pressure ahead? You can be by knowing me and letting me be your personal savior. God gives us prophecy to warn that separation from him is a life in hell. But acceptance of him and belief in him is a life in glorious heaven forever. And when you know how it ends, it helps you with all the pressure you're going through currently. Heavenly Father, as we close in prayer today, if there's anyone out there who does not know their Savior, I pray that they would call upon the name of the Lord that they might be saved. Scripture says that we turn, we repent of our sin, we say, Lord, forgive me of my sin. Be my Savior. We know that you'll be faithful to those who ask for that free gift of salvation and be their Savior and offer them hope amidst any pressure that is to come. Lord, use this series, use this sermon to bring glory and honor to yourself. May we continue to walk like lions into this uncertain time, knowing we can follow you through it. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, church family. Be patient with us as we begin to crank this back up gradually um, with great wisdom, but um, we're looking forward to better times ahead, great times ahead, and thank you for all your encouragement and support during this time. First Baptist Church is gonna be known for staying unified through this, staying trustworthy to the Lord through this, staying true to the gospel through this, and loving one another through this. God bless you. Have a great week.